Hello and welcome back to Break Your Budget, the podcast. My name is Michaela and I am your host. And we are back on the video podcast. I know last week we skipped this video theme because my sister was on and truthfully we were just not in the mood to be on the camera. So the video podcast is back. Before we get into things, I'm going to do a little bit of catch up. I always do this at the end of the podcast and I think I need to do it at the beginning. If you like this podcast, if you like watching this on YouTube, please leave me a review, like the YouTube video, leave a comment, share it with a friend. I am trying to make the podcast more of a thing in 2022. I say this every single episode and I have literally not missed a single Wednesday of 2022. So that I don't mean to toot my own horn is like incredible just because I have so many things going on that I can't believe that I haven't missed podcasts. So if you like this, make sure you like, comment, subscribe, leave me a review. If you're feeling really generous, go write a review. A five-star review is enough, but if you want to add some words, that would be wonderful. And with that, we can hop in to some catch up, I guess, on this episode. So first, first of all, if you are watching me on YouTube and I'm looking down at my computer, sorry, I have a very loose script because if you're a normal watcher, listener, viewer of this podcast, you know that I tend to ramble and I'm not good at having concise, cohesive thoughts. So I have a general outline of what I want to talk about today. The theme today is going to be um, a little bit of a reflection, um, a little bit of a catch up, and then I have some Q&A that I want to answer at the end. Your questions, really nothing about me, mostly just because I'm getting a lot of similar questions from a lot of different people. A lot of these are career-based, so a couple days on Instagram, I asked you guys to submit your career questions, and I got a lot of replies. So if you don't follow me on Instagram, I do Monday Q&As, so I always post a Q-box on Mondays. If you would like to submit a question and have it either potentially answered there or on a future podcast episode, make sure you're following me on Instagram. In this case, I was looking for ideas for career content when I was doing my May content planning, and you guys asked a lot of questions. So I always like to ask you guys to submit your questions because it really helps me make content that I know you want to see. And also, I think it's a really great way for us to get to know each other a little bit. I love to know what you guys are dealing with, what's going on in your life, and being able to answer your questions, whether it's on Instagram and like type um, typed kind of replies or here in more of a free form me chatting with you kind of reply is really fun for me. I really enjoy it. So that's going to be towards the end of the podcast. I have a list here on my laptop of, I want to say like seven or eight questions that I'm going to answer today. And then before we get into that though, I want to do a little bit of a catch up. So first things first, I'm sitting in a different spot in my room right now, which you likely can't tell because Every single wall in my room is so white. And something that I'm going to be focusing on over the next couple of months is going to be a slow process. And I don't want to fully commit to it until I know if I'm staying in this apartment or not. I, If it's up to me, I will be staying in this apartment. The only reason I would leave is if I get kicked out, which I'm not anticipating, but my lease is up in the middle of July. And um, I need to add a little bit of decor So I don't necessarily feel like I want to put anything on the walls per se, just because A, this is a rental, B, in Los Angeles, there are earthquakes and stuff, and I just like don't really want to deal with hanging things up. 
but I do need to get some type of background for my videos. I need to get some stuff to put on my desk here just because everything in here is so plain. My mom actually made a comment, an unsolicited comment, and I know she is listening to this, um, about it looking like I live in a dorm room, which I don't necessarily agree with, but I can understand where she is coming from because I don't really show other parts of my apartment that are complete, but my room just isn't something that I've invested a lot of time into. One, because I don't like to have stuff. I hate knickknacks, I hate having items. But two, just because everything in here is very white and I didn't want to invest a lot of time and money into my room because I didn't know when I moved here how long I was planning to stay in LA. I didn't know if I was going to like this apartment. Like there were just a lot of things that were up in the air. And so I didn't invest in, you know, nice furniture because this is a very temporary space for me. Ideally, I will be staying in this apartment for a long time. I really, really, really like it. I really, really want to stay. So, if that's the case, I may swap out some of my furniture. But in the near term, I want to get some stuff for like the background. So maybe a plant, maybe like a small table that I can put things on. I'm not sure. I don't have a lot of space in my other conundrum, aside from the fact that I don't want to put things on the wall, is that my room is kind of my private space, obviously, to like do all of the things that I need to do. So in here is where I make all of my content. In here is where I do a lot of my work. In here is also where I do like my Pilates and that kind of thing. And I have limited space. So I can't really add too much furniture and I don't want things to feel cluttered. And so if you have any ideas of you know, how to spruce up a small space, add a pop of color. My style is very muted, very minimal, without too many things. And I guess making it look more elevated and adult and not like an apartment or a dorm room or something. Let me know. Because when it comes to design, I don't know anything, for one. Two, I don't have an eye. And three, I'm just not really interested in it. And I'm interested in making my room feel homey, but I need some ideas and I'm willing to spend a little bit of money um, because it's business expense since it's really for my videos. It's for the background of my videos. But I just am a little lost on where to start. So if you have ideas, send me a DM on Instagram, please, or send me an email, Michaela at breakyourbudget.com because I don't always see all of my DMs. Um, a lot of times DMs will get lost in like my message requests and stuff and I just don't see them or Instagram deletes them or whatever. So if you send me a DM, um, try to like respond to a story or something. Those are easier for me to find or just please send me an email. So anyways, enough about that. Moving into my next section here that I want to talk about is April as a month financially. So Obviously, a lot of things in my life happened in April. So at this point, you all already know I quit my job. So I I quit my job on March 25th. And my last day of my job was April 8th. And that's also the last day that I received a paycheck. And it was actually basically two paychecks worth because I had a bunch of vacation days that I was being paid out for. So it was a good chunk of change. It basically was you know a month and a half of salary that I got paid in April. Um, but I'm no longer receiving a bi-weekly paycheck. So my finances are changing dramatically. How I manage things are changing. Um, I also did a lot of travel. So I went home for a month, or not a month. I went home for a week to Cape Cod. And so when I go home, 
you know, I'm staying at my parents' house. I don't see them very often. They're feeding me. Um, and so I'm not really spending a lot of money. It's also a week that I don't have to buy groceries because again, I'm not here. I am there. Super awesome. Love that they do that. Thanks mom and dad. Really appreciate it. Um, so my spending was a little bit different in that regard as I wasn't doing as much normal spending, but that coupled with the fact that I was traveling and then I came back to LA, my sister came with me. We went away for the weekend to Santa Barbara. She was here. We did a lot of eating out. I mean, I basically ate out for every meal for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then Monday, Tuesday, we didn't really eat out, but we went out for like ice cream and did that kind of thing. Um, so I just did a lot of eating out. I paid for a hotel. Like it was just a lot. And then on top of that, in April, I also got my hair done. I got a pedicure. I got waxed. I um, Those were like my self-care things. And then what was the other thing that I did? Oh, I did a lot of shopping. So I did a big Abercrombie haul. I bought a new pair of shoes. I did a little shopping when I was in Santa Barbara. I did a little shopping on Abikini when I got back from Santa Barbara with my sisters. So I just bought a lot of stuff, um, spent a lot of money. I ended up spending, after I did my monthly review using the personal finance dashboard, which you can get for $10 off using the code podcast one. Um, after I did all of that, I, you know, tallied up what I spent and I spent about five grand in April. And so you may be thinking to you, that might not be a lot to me. That's significantly more than I usually spend due to just a lot of abnormal expenses. Um, like, you know, a, a lot of shopping, getting my hair done. I do that every like four to six months. Like that's not something that I do often. And for me to get my hair cut, colored, and tip is around $300. And that's $300 every couple of months. Like again, four to six months or so. I do intentionally do it now when I go home because for me to get my hair cut, colored, and tipped here, and tip I mean like tipping the hairdresser, um, would cost twice as much because that's just... LA culture. So I do it at home, but like, again, I don't often spend that kind of money. I also got a pedicure. This is something that I think I'm going to start doing monthly. Like I, I just need to build it into my budget because I like to have clean feet. And then I also got, you know, my eyebrows waxed and other things waxed. And I like to do that again monthly for like personal hygiene. So that's about a hundred bucks every month. So it just was a lot of that a lot of shopping. We went to Santa Barbara. So between the two of us, we used some points and we kind of splurged on the hotel. So we used points. My sister had a bunch of points to use. Um, and then we, for the other night, split it. So we each paid $400 all in on the hotel. And then when we were in Santa Barbara, you know, we just went back and forth on who bought what. So I probably spent like $300 on food and stuff in Santa Barbara that I wouldn't have otherwise spent. So it was just a lot of spending money, um, again, all at the same time. And so that made me a little bit uncomfortable just because, you know, I just left my job. I'm not getting a paycheck anymore. And that's something that I'm trying to deal with. It's a mental thing that I want to deal with. And I want to be honest about it on here because I know that it can look like from the internet that like, oh, I have all this money and oh, I'll just spend whatever. And Obviously, those of you guys who have been following me for a while and I feel like know a lot about me and know me pretty well, that's not really the case. Spending money was something that is hard for me and was hard for me for a very long time. And living in LA has really allowed me to like 
figure out what I enjoy spending money on, what I like to do. When I have a guest, it's a little bit different because, you know, you're hosting and you're having somebody come, you're showing them all of the things you love to do. It's just natural. You're going to spend more. But all of these things compounded at once was a little bit stressful for me. Um, And so when I did my end of the month review, I was like, well, damn, like this was a shitty month for me financially. I really overdid it. And then thinking back to it, kind of removing myself from that, I think it's a one-off month. And when I look at the big picture, it's not that big of a deal. I think the other thing that I want to add in on this too is that my net worth took a pretty big hit in April as well for two reasons. One, because my 401k at my job now that I've left was only vested 40%, not 100%. So At my work, the way that it works is every year you get vested another 20%. And so vesting means if you get an employer match, how much of that match you're entitled to based on your tenure when you leave the company. Some companies do 100% vested automatically. Mine did 20% every year. So I was there for two years. Part of the timing of when I left, I wanted to make sure I got that full second year, um, which is why I didn't leave sooner. And... So I got the 40%, but in my net worth up until that point, you know, I wasn't really planning necessarily to leave as quickly as I did. I knew I was going to leave. I just didn't really know fully the timing, whatever. So I had been tracking my net worth, including all of my 401k match. And so when I remove the vesting piece of it and only count the 40%, my 401k balance is actually, you know, that I am entitled to is about five or six K less than what I have been tracking on my net worth. So like that was an automatic hit. I knew that was going to happen. It's not that big of a deal. The other thing is that in April, the markets are significantly down and we're going through a very volatile period in the stock market. And so all my investments are down. They're down about 20% um, and the, or $20,000, not 20%. And then on top of that, I paid a whole bunch of taxes in April. I paid my 2021 taxes And then I also paid my 2022 quarterly estimates for Q1. So I paid, you know, an entry-level salary in taxes in a period of about 48 hours, which was a lot of money, um, very stressful for me, and just something that I'm not used to yet. So I'm getting a grip on how I'm doing my taxes going forward. But all those things coupled together just made April one of those more stressful financial months for me. And to just kind of wrap up this thought, the whole premise of why I share my financial journey with you guys is relatability and so that you can see that even though it seems like I'm an expert, which I I feel like I'm very well versed in personal finance, obviously, but like I deal with ups and downs and ebbs and flows too. And I don't feel super awesome about it, but the way that I deal with it, I guess, is that April is one month out of 12 months. And if I give myself a C in April financially, purely based on numbers, you know, I can still end 2022 with an A or an A plus. So like, it's not that big of a deal. And I think when you have a bad month, as long as it doesn't become a consistent thing, one bad month or one less than stellar month isn't going to derail your progress. And I think the other, the silver lining of this, we'll call it a bad month, but I think probably a better way to describe it is less than stellar, is that I set a goal this year 
And I left my job, you know, under the intention that I wanted to live more and I wanted to be a little bit more carefree. I wanted to experience life and kind of dive into that because with COVID and everything and living at home, I just had so much time where I wasn't doing that. And in order to do that, you have to spend money. It's just part of what you do in order to do those kinds of things. So that to me was just like a month where I did that. And I need to get comfortable with spending more than I plan in the name of enjoying my life and traveling and spending time with my sister and going to new restaurants and showing somebody my life here and where I live and all the fun things that I like to do, even if that means it costs a little bit more. So that is my, I guess, reflection on April. And then the last thing that I want to talk about is just a little bit of self-employment reflection because it's now been... I'm recording this on May 3rd, Um, so it's been almost a month since I've been, you know, away from my job, and there are a couple key things, I guess, that I want to talk about. First is just the amount of, like, stress that I don't feel anymore because I don't have to log online at a certain time and, like, respond to someone. Um, I did not realize how much that affected me just because I was so used to it. And I was operating in this way of like, this is just my life. And removing that, I literally feel so much just overall happier. I don't know if it's palpable. I don't know if you can tell just in the way that I talk and communicate, but like not having to deal with that for lack of a better way to put it, like all the shit that came along with my job, And then, you know, I still talk to people at my work. They text me and send me screenshots of emails and whatever. Like, I have friends there still. And just seeing some of the stuff they send me, I'm like, I literally cannot even believe that, A, I dealt with that, but B, that, like, this is just, it's just not my problem. And life outside of that, like, I have seen the light. And it just has felt really, really good. It's been a very positive experience for me. That's not to say... Again, that like being self-employed is the greatest, best thing ever because it's also difficult. Um, And I'm kind of learning that as I go. One is just self-imposed stress. So like I am so used to starting work and logging into work at like very early in the morning. And since I'm on this new schedule and I can control my schedule a little bit, I am trying to have more of a morning routine and I didn't realize how difficult it was going to be to like break this mental cycle of like I start work early because what I want to do is wake up early, go on a walk, clean my room, like get organized for the day, maybe do my emails, make a coffee. I've been doing an ice roller on my face, getting ready for the day. Like I want to have a relaxed morning and start working at like nine, but I'm finding I'm struggling with that. Like just because I'm so used to starting work early that at eight o'clock comes around and I'm like, damn, I'm behind. And that's not normal. Um, And it's a hard thing to break. So like I'm struggling with that. And the other thing is just struggling with like workload and stuff and keeping up with things. I feel like for so long I was in maintenance mode and then I was traveling. I had somebody, my sister, you know, staying with me, whatever. And so for a couple of weeks, it was a little bit stressful. And now this week actually is my first full week where I'm alone. I have a full work week that I'm making my own schedule, whatever. And I still feel like I'm being pulled in a lot of directions. And I think that's just what it is with having, you know, your own business, a lot of different places where you're posting content and stuff. It can be hard 
to manage. And so coming up with a schedule I thought was going to be a lot easier. Like one day I'll film, one day I'll edit, one day I'll do content, one day I'll do writing, whatever. It's not that easy. Um, and it's definitely not that straightforward. And then you mix in like I work for TDU. So the daily upside. So like I have to, you know, budget time during my day to do that because that's what they're paying me for. That was our agreement. And it's just kind of hard to navigate these things. Um, it's not as cut and dry as I want it to be. And I think it's going to take me a lot longer to find my cadence. In an ideal world, like I want to be one to two weeks ahead on content. And like that's going to be really hard for me to do at the current pace that I'm at. Like I almost think I may need to take a week off of content, but I don't want to do that. So I don't know. It, it's just been a little bit more difficult to navigate than I was anticipating. And so that's something that I'm struggling with. But I'm figuring out a lot as I go. And I think that there's a lot of you know opportunity for me on the horizon. And I'm just trying to obviously do the best that I can. Um, but I want to make sure that part of my page and as I'm you know sharing my journey, being self-employed, leaving corporate, uh, temporarily, maybe forever, it's still, I don't know, um, that I'm not glamorizing this working for yourself thing that I feel like a lot of people do on the internet. And I also feel like a lot of people from the outside think that when you work for yourself, you're like, have all of this time freedom and that you can create your own schedule and that you, you know, can do all of these things and, you know, not, you're not working that much. But I think it's actually just the opposite I feel like so far at least, and hopefully as I work out the kinks in my schedule, this changes, but I feel like so far I don't have any time freedom. I feel like I'm working a lot more and I feel like I'm still equally as stressed, just stressed in a different way. It's self-imposed stress versus like my manager breathing down my neck kind of stress. And I think that the internet and like maybe YouTube culture and definitely TikTok culture have glamorized working for yourself and they're not showing the reality of it. And so that's something that I want to show and share with you from my own perspective, at least. I can't speak for everybody who's self-employed, but like it's not as, it's definitely not as glamorous as it looks. It's a lot of time of me just sitting in my room alone, doing things like this, talking to myself, to a camera, um, or editing a video or like just, it's not what you think it is. So yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but like that's something that I think A, I'm learning, but B, just because somebody works for themselves or you see that somebody works for themselves online doesn't necessarily mean that they like have all this freedom in their day and that they're available and they can do whatever they want. Like I have obligations and I have contracts and I have deadlines and I have things that have to get done and I have, you know, I I I still technically work for somebody at this point point in time so it's just it's not like I can just do whatever I want all day I have things that have to get done so all that being said it's been a big learning month for me I'm using May as my like reset month to basically figure out what I want my schedule to look like I'm doing a lot of money resetting figuring out what my finances are going to look like getting used to being self-employed doing all of these things and it's just a lot of learning and I'm going to be sharing it like I said all the time um, and all over all of my channels in one way or another. So make sure you're tuning into everything. But with that, that was a pretty long intro. I think it's like 20 minutes or 22 minutes if I can see clearly on my camera. Um, so I think it's time to move into Q&A. 
So like I said, I have a whole bunch of Q&A questions here. Um, and I'm going to go through all of these in order. I've, you know, sussed out a few just based on ones where I want to have much more thoughtful answers. And I also have some that I didn't really, you know, plan, I guess we'll say. Um, so with that, we're just going to jump in. The first question here is, I want to quit my job, but I'm too burned out to look for another. What should I do? And I love this question because I think it's very common to feel like if you're very overwhelmed at work and you're feeling burnt out and almost like not motivated or discouraged, it's really easy to like basically say, I don't have the time to find another job and just accept this reality as your reality which I think is doing a disservice to yourself. And I think too, and I understand the feeling of burnout. Like I've been there. I'm still kind of feeling that way. I don't necessarily feel like I've gotten past that just yet. That's the goal. Um, But I understand the feeling of burnout and that there's just not enough time in the day. And you get to the end of the day when you're working and you just don't have the brain space to do any more. And it's a very overwhelming feeling, almost in the sense of like, it feels like you don't have control anymore over your own life. And I think it's very, very common. So that's something that I upfront just want to say, like, if this is how you feel, you're definitely not alone in that feeling. And I've felt it and it sucks. It's really difficult. It's hard to navigate. And it just feels like, again, you don't have control over your life anymore, which isn't a good feeling. But I think at the same time, looking at it from a different perspective is like if you're really unhappy at your job and it's just not working for you, you owe it to yourself to find the time and to make the time to make it happen. So that could be, you know, putting 30 minutes on your calendar at work, maybe during your lunch hour or setting 30 minutes at the end of the day, whatever to dedicate towards this. I think too, when it comes to finding a new job, a lot of people think they have to do everything all in a day. And when if you're feeling really tired and burnt out, I, in my opinion, think there's a better approach and that's to do small actions every day in a short period of time. And so my suggestion in this particular case would be to dedicate like 15 to 30 minutes a day for one week where you're just updating your resume. Like give every week almost a theme. So this first week would be updating your resume. So you're pulling up your resume at the end of the day for 15 minutes, you're updating a line. Next day you do the same thing, you update the second line. And by the end of the week, you've done micro tasks all week long, but you've updated your resume. It took a week, but you got it done. And it wasn't that much effort on a daily basis. And you accomplished a big task without you know, feeling like you have to dedicate hours and hours and hours of your time every day to do it. I think 15 minutes is definitely reasonable. I think all of us can find 15 minutes. And again, just dedicating 15 minutes of focus time, make the promise to yourself and do that daily for the first step of updating your resume. The next step in the job process is, you know, applying to jobs. So the next week, once your resume is updated, you can set a goal to apply to three or four jobs every day, or let's say three to five jobs daily. You know, LinkedIn makes it really easy to apply for jobs directly. LinkedIn, easy apply. All you have to do is upload your resume. Sometimes you have to submit a cover letter. I will say cover letters seem to be dissipating in my job search before I decided to quit my job I applied for probably like 
20 to 30 jobs. Like when I decide I'm applying for jobs, I go hard. Um, I updated my resume. And then what I did was I just submitted, I only applied to jobs that didn't require a cover letter. And I know some people are like, oh, that's not possible for me. Like, honestly, it is. And I think depending on the job, like if the job description had lots of questions and stuff, unless I was super excited about the job, I just didn't apply because I'm like, I am not spending all this time on an application that I may not even hear back on. Like I put the time into my resume. I made my resume very strong so that my experience spoke for itself. And I didn't feel like I really needed to re-explain my resume in a cover letter. And it worked out. I got two job offers. You know, I didn't really have a hard time getting interviews, getting opportunities. Like it was, it didn't really make that much of a difference in my experience. So if you can get away with not needing to do a cover letter, I think that really eliminates a lot of stress and makes the application process fairly easy. So that would be my next recommendation is once you've updated your resume, just setting a goal three to five applications daily for a week and then see what happens or three to five applications daily till you start getting hits. It shouldn't take that long if you do a lot of volume. The more applications you submit, the higher likelihood you're gonna hear back. And I think too, also coming down, not being as picky. I've I've seen through just my peers, um, friends, family, whatever, people in my peripherals, a lot of people will not apply for a job because they think they're either not qualified or there's like one bullet in the job description that they don't like, or because they make an assumption that that company's not gonna pay them what they want. Until you have an offer in hand, you don't have any decision to make, you should not be discriminating against your jobs. And ultimately, like, you don't know if a job is gonna be right or wrong for you until you actually talk about it. And I don't think job descriptions are like the best way to suss out what a job is actually like. So if you see a job that like fits what you're thinking about seriously, or fits even 50% of what you're thinking about, just apply. You literally have nothing to lose by applying. And all you're doing is making it harder for yourself by being super, super picky. So that's my best advice if you're feeling burnt out, like micro steps, open your mind, and then apply to more things than you would think. Because sometimes... You know, the unexpected job you either are like, "Mm, this may not be for me, but I'll just throw my name in the hat could end up being the job that is the perfect fit for you when you actually have a conversation with the people at the company and get more information about what you would be doing, all of the stuff related to the job. So that's my advice on that question. Um, My next question here is how to ask for a raise. So I get different variations of this question all the time. And I think when people ask this, they're looking for me to give them some type of script. And there's no real script that you can follow because A, scripts are very inorganic. And so if you go into a conversation with your manager and you follow a script, like it's just going to be a little bit weird. But two, and you know, you know your manager in your situation differently and I feel like you have to approach that conversation in a way that is organic to that particular relationship. But that being said, I do think there's kind of a, you know, prescription to follow when teeing up and queuing up to ask for a raise. So the first is like task tracking. You need to have 
you know, a brag sheet basically of all of the projects you've worked on, all of your responsibilities, how your responsibility has evolved, your different accomplishments, all of the things that you bring to the table. A great way to do this is with the Own Your Career template. It's always linked in the show notes and in the description on YouTube um, on my links page. So if you are somebody who you know, doesn't really know how to task track or why you should do that, you should definitely check out that template. Basically, what I did in my job and what I'm doing in my business now still, even though I'm not asking for a promotion, is laying out like all of the tasks that I have on a regular basis. Feedback that I get, whether it's from different brands or in your instance, you know, feedback you get from people if you work a corporate job. Feedback you get from people that you work with. So if you do a project and someone's like, nice, this was a really great work, whatever, record that, write it down when it happens in one cohesive place. All of the projects that you're doing, um, and then again, value add and accomplishment. So like if a project that you're working on is, you know, gathering information that's going to be used in a broader meeting, like that's the value. Like you are helping give information to senior leadership to share with stakeholders, whatever that looks like in your current role. Or if you are working in sales, you're generating X dollars of revenue, you're doing these different things that are adding value to the company, adding value to the team, you need to record that. And then anytime you finish a project, accomplish something, do something unplanned, if your responsibility changes or you get more stuff put on your plate, again, you need to be recording that because there are so many things that you do in your job that you don't think about. And that you forget about because you're just in your own little world doing all of the things. And if you are not keeping track of it, you will forget. And when it comes to the time to have this conversation or a performance conversation or something, it's going to be really hard or much harder to like show your worth and show your value and justify and prove why you deserve it. Because it's very likely that you do. So that's my first tip is like make sure you're keeping track of everything. Next, when you get to the conversation, so obviously you'd want to set up time with your manager, whether it comes naturally in a performance review. So at the time this podcast is going up, it's May, you know, mid-year reviews in in a corporate setting at least are happening soon. You know, June, July timeframe is generally when those happen. So now more than ever could be a really great time to start teeing up for that conversation. Um, or, you know, you can just set up a one-off meeting with your manager or if you meet with him or her regularly in a one-on-one, you can bring it up. But what I would say and what I did say in the past is like, I've been doing all of these things. My responsibilities have changed. The expectations, that's a big one. The expectations on me have evolved and changed. You know, the team is expecting more from me. Stakeholders expect more from me. My output is different and higher. Again, make sure you format it based on what you're currently doing. And I'd like to discuss reevaluating my compensation or I'd like to discuss, you know, the steps that I need to take in order to get promoted. I would definitely tee that up again before you actually have like a formal review, generally where those kinds of promotions or raises happen. Um, giving your manager a month or two notice. And if you don't feel like you're getting the response from your manager that you're looking for, or if you don't feel like your ask is being received in the way that you need it to be, that is sign in enough to be like, okay, like maybe this isn't going where I want. I'm going to start finding a new job. Um, So that would be my tips for asking for a raise. Again, I can't really give you like a script, but like I think the best way to do it is to 
tee yourself up first, like set yourself up for success, have all of your ammo ready to go, and then just drop it and be like, this is what I'm looking for. I've done all of these things. I'd really like to discuss this with you and see what they say. Because what they say is going to dictate how you respond next. You know, sometimes a manager's like, I agree, totally deserve it. Like, let me see what I can do. And then it's your responsibility, though, after that to be following up on it. Um, But if they say, you know, I don't know, or like not for another year, which is what happened in my case, like that's how you know, okay, like I can either push it, which that's your prerogative, or you can use that information to make a decision and just find a new job that's going to give you the raise or the experience or whatever that you're looking for. Next question here is how to stay motivated in a nine to five when you're actively pursuing a side hustle. I have a lot of experience with this. Um, It's hard to stay motivated in a nine to five, especially if your side hustle is something you're really passionate about or if your side hustle is generating a lot of business or attention um, and demands a lot of attention. But my biggest tip here is just planning. So first, like, You need to plan your week out and you need to block time during your week where you're going to be working on your side hustle. The biggest disservice you can do to yourself is not dedicating specific time and scheduling specific time in your week to do your side hustle. A lot of people treat side hustles as like, oh, in my free time, I'll just do it. But like if you treat your side hustle as something you're going to do in your free time, it's a hobby. It's not really a priority. It's not really a business. Like in my free time, I play tennis. If I don't play tennis one week, I you know, the world keeps spinning. But if I don't like when I was doing my job and break your budget, like if I didn't set a dedicate time to do break your budget, like we would not be here right now. You have to be consistent and you have to dedicate a lot of time, specific time for that thing. What worked really well for me was A, taking time on Sundays to like plan out my week. So obviously my nine to five time, like that was for my job and that was what it was. But in the time outside of that, so either early in the morning or later in the evening, I'd block two hours every day of the week. And then usually, you know, one weekend day. But that's optional depending on how much time you really need to dedicate to your side hustle or what point you're at. But every day of the week, I would have a different theme of tasks I'd be doing in that, you know, two to three hour window. So like one day it would be all filming TikToks. One day it would be all creating content for Instagram. One day it would be recording and editing my podcast. Like I would just give myself one themed task to do and just use that time fully focused on doing that so that I wasn't wasting time switching back and forth. And that really worked for me. So that would be my best tip is to like dedicate time, keep the promise to yourself that you're going to do it. And in the time that you do dedicate to your side hustle, make sure that it's very, very focused so that you're not feeling overwhelmed because I think if you feel overwhelmed with additional work from a side hustle, it can be really hard to to stay focused at your job. Um, And then obviously you'll get agitated quicker at work and it will just all snowball from there. So that would be my best tip. Um, The next question is, I'm in my first job post-grad and I hate it. There's no growth and I really want to quit. How long should I stick it out? I also got a question too that was like um, along this tune of is it bad for me to stay in my job for less than a year if I don't like it? My answer to that is hell no. If you don't like your job, leave. I mean, I think there's obviously a period like you should stay in a job for, in my opinion, three like six months. 
we'll say three to six months because you don't really know what you're doing until that period. I feel like it takes six months to like fully, fully, fully learn a job and be fully independent at work. So if you've reached that point and you're like not happy, no, you're not happy. Like, I don't really think it's a big deal to start leaving or to start thinking about leaving. And I don't think that there should be any set time that you have to be miserable at a job just for the sake of that. Like, in my opinion, I think every 10 or so years of your career, you get a mulligan. And that means like you get one mess up, one job that's like wasn't for you where it can be overlooked on your resume. If it becomes, you know, a habit where every six months you're changing jobs, different story. But if it's like six months to a year where you don't like your job and you leave, like I don't think it's that big of a deal. This happened to me in my second job after college. I just, it wasn't the right fit. I really didn't like it. It was really stressful. I didn't like some of the people that I worked with and it just wasn't working for me. And I stayed there for 11 months. Um, and I had no issue finding another job afterwards. Everything worked out fine for me. Like, you know, it didn't really matter. The one thing I will say is that if you are going to do this, you need to have for interviews, a very well thought out answer for why you're leaving so soon, because no matter what society says, or like people say that it's not a big deal. I don't think it's a big deal, but like employers will ask you that question and you do need to have a good answer for it or else it will just look like you're job hopping for no reason. Um, so that's my answer to that. How long should I stick it out? I don't think you should prolong it if you don't like it. If there, if you're not seeing growth, like if you're not getting paid what you want, if you don't like what you're doing, my whole thing is at a job, if you're not learning or earning, that's when it's time to reevaluate what you're doing and if it's time to leave. So you should either be getting really great experience or you should be making money. And if you're not getting either of those two things, stop wasting your time. There are so many jobs out there and so it's really important to use your time wisely and like make sure you're getting experience or you're getting paid because otherwise, like what are you doing? Um, but that's just my opinion. Um Especially to, and then I'll move on, but given this is uh, this person who asked this, it says it's their first job post-grad. I think that most people hate their job post-grad. Very, very, very normal. And, you know, that's an answer in itself. Like, I got this job after college, thought it was going to be what I wanted, and it wasn't. So um, I think, you know, it's not that big of a deal. It's as big of a deal as you make it. And as long as you have an answer to why you want to leave, like, that's really all that matters. The next question here is, if I had stuck with FP&A, what career path did I see? I think this was kind of a big reason I guess I left my current company is I definitely would be very happy pursuing a career in FP&A long term. It wasn't necessarily that I disliked FP&A while I left. It was that I felt like I was being taken advantage of and I wasn't getting the growth opportunities that were necessary for me. Um, and the ROI, the ROI on my time, given I had a side hustle, just wasn't there. Um, but I really, really enjoyed working in FP&A. And I could see myself growing into that. I don't think, again, at the company I was at, just because the industry wasn't something I was interested in. But I did interview at like a health and wellness activewear company. Um, and I think that that kind of path would be something really fulfilling for me. 
The beauty of FP&A is that you can choose an industry and kind of run with it because every company has an FP&A team and what you do is similar. So like as long as you have industry knowledge, the transferable skills are really high. So I think that I would have been really happy pursuing FP&A in like a health and wellness industry niche versus the industry that I was in, which was alcohol, um, which is not really something I'm interested in. And I didn't want to devote the time to learn the ins and outs of the alcohol industry and like the finance related topics within the industry that were necessary for me to grow at that specific co- that specific company. It just wasn't something that I personally was interested in long term. Um, but sticking with FP&A to answer the question, like I could have seen myself it just in a different industry, but growing into an FP&A role, like a manager role, senior manager role, whatever, just somewhere else. Should I leave a job I'm unhappy at for another job with the same pay but less growth? So this is kind of a weird question to me because it's like, should I leave a job I don't like to go to another job where I'm not getting paid more and there's no growth? Like I think that no. Um, I think you should find a job that has better pay and more growth. Like, I don't think these things don't need to be mutually exclusive. I think if you're going to leave your job, you should leave your job to a job that you actually want to do because switching jobs is very stressful. It's a very emotional process, emotionally taxing process. It's an exhausting process and it's a lot of work. So like, If you're going to leave your job, which if you're not getting treated at your job how you should be, if you're not learning or earning, then like, hell yeah, you should leave your job and find a new one. You want to make sure when you do make that decision, you're going into a job that's beneficial for you. So my answer to this question is no, you should not leave a job you're unhappy with just to find a new job. You should leave a job you're unhappy with to move into a job that is a better fit for you. Um, The next question here is how to determine value add in your career. So this is kind of a harder question, but I think what you need to do is think about first metrics. So when you think about the projects or the tasks that you're doing, what are the measurable aspects of it? Can you quantify it? Are you doing anything that directly correlates into time saved, sales or revenue generated? Um, Metrics as in people reached if you do social media, conversions, What does that look like in your particular role? If there's nothing quantitative, then you need to determine what the KPI, so key performance indicators are for your job. Like how can you measure success in your specific role? A great way to do this is to like go back and look at the job description of your current role and see if they have a section that's like a successful candidate will or like a successful person in this role will. Many, many, many jobs do or like what they're looking for in a candidate. The job qualifications are a really great way to determine what the, again, KPIs are really for your role. But I think you need to think about it in a very like creative way. So when you're thinking about value add, you want to think about time saved, helping someone, streamlining some something. So like maybe you are onboarding someone, you streamlined their onboarding process. That's like just a very convoluted example. Or maybe you work in influencer marketing, let's say, and you sourced 10 influencers who generated $500,000 in revenue. Like it's what are the tasks that you're doing, doing for the business? 
What are the tasks that you're doing adding to the broader business team goals? You need to think about that. And it's a hard thing to think about. Um, It's a hard thing to really quantify and write down, but it's the points you want to put on your resume. Like a successful resume isn't like, I oversee or like I manage 10 client relationships. It's like I manage 10 client relationships by doing X, Y, Z. What makes you unique? What makes what you're doing in your role special and good and purposeful? Um, Two more questions here. The next question is high yield savings accounts versus CDs. What's the difference? Um, There's two different types of accounts. So a high yield savings account is a savings account and you have much more flexibility and more access to your money. You can withdraw, you can take money out, you can put money in, um, and you can access that money anytime you need it, really. There are limits to how many withdrawals and uh, deposits you can make every single month, but in general, that money is accessible to you. A CD, which is a certificate of deposit, is your money is locked up for a set period of time, a predetermined period of time for a guaranteed interest rate. Whereas a high yield savings account, the interest rate can change at any point. So they're just different kinds of accounts. You would use them for different purposes. I wouldn't use a CD with any money that you may need access to in the next couple of weeks or months um, or within the next year, really, because a lot of CDs is like your money is locked up for a full year, meaning you cannot access that money without penalty, but you are guaranteed a specific interest rate. So it's just different types of accounts to be used for different purposes. Um, And the last question here is, how much money should I have saved up before I move out on my own? This is a really good question. I like it a lot. Um, And I think there's no dollar amount. But I would say, based on the city that you're moving to, so like you should do a little research on what rent costs. What's the cost of living in the city that you want to live in? And save up, I would say probably like four to six months worth of expenses as an emergency fund before you move out if you can. So if you're someone who's lucky, you can live at your parents' house, you can do your job, you know, whatever. It's not inhibitive to your life in a very dramatic way. Then I would use that time to really bulk up my emergency savings um, and then move. I think the other thing to keep in mind too is when you move out of your house into an apartment or something, it's always more expensive than you think. Like, Generally, you have to pay a security deposit. You have to pay first and last month's rent or you have to pay a broker's fee. Like there are a lot of costs that come along with finding an apartment. You have to buy furniture. Like you have to set up all your utilities. That costs money. You just have to buy a lot of stuff. So like in addition to your expenses that you saved up for your emergency fund, let's say, you know, four to six months, you have to factor in too what it's going to cost to actually move generally a couple thousand dollars or like two or three months worth of rent up front. Again, it's different based on the city that you live in, the type of apartment you're looking for um, in your situation. But I think a general rule of thumb would be four to six months of expenses plus whatever your cost is to move. I think a safe bet on cost to move is probably like three to 4K. But again, very dependent on the city. Okay, so that was all of the questions that I'm going to answer for today. I hope you guys liked this podcast episode. I feel like it was nice and chatty, a good way to catch up. Um, And as always, like I said at the beginning, if you like this podcast, make sure you leave me a review, like, comment, subscribe, share with a friend. And I will catch you guys in the next one. And don't forget, as always, you can use the code PODCAST1 for $10 off the personal finance dashboard. It's always linked 
in the show notes and in the description underneath this video. And I'll catch you guys next week.